tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Amy Ratcliffe, author of the recent Art of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We go through her career, going from a Clone Wars blog to after years of hard work officially writing for Star Wars. We also delve into the creation of her art of book and the steps required to turn it into a piece of Star Wars history. Amy has been a huge inspiration for me, and it was such a delight getting to talk to her about her journey. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 107, Amy Ratcliffe. Let's just, I mean, dive right in. First experience with Star Wars. What was it? How did that impact you? Um, I really you didn't have my first like meaningful connection, I guess, with Star Wars until I was, uh, what's math? In my late 20s, I think is what that <laughs> works out to be. Um, but I first encountered Star Wars on Star Tours at Disneyland in 1991 because we are visiting family in California or family was having a wedding out there and my cousin really wanted to go on it and I didn't know what it was I was just a kid I'm like Disneyland all the rides right. um, so I have a vague memory of that and then you know fast forward to when they re-released the special editions in the theaters in, in 97 I believe it was and that was the first time I saw Star Wars and I enjoyed it I, I went uh, with a high school boyfriend who was terrible but that was a good thing that I got out of that relationship. Wheel of Time and Star Wars, baby. (laughs) And I enjoyed it. I watched the prequels, but then it was really Clone Wars in 2008 that made me... Mm. I met Ahsoka. I saw more of Anakin and Obi-Wan being buds, that time period. And that's when I like, oh, I fell in love. And you just like, you know, when you get new pieces of of a fictional universe, you're like, okay, I need to look at everything again with this enthusiasm and this perspective and that's what happened and it's been downhill in a good way ever since (laughs) (laughs) i love it well then i guess what was your first experience with disney parks obviously this book is such an incredible blend of both but was that 91 trip your first time at disney or what was was that journey for you oh wow that was in the 80s so i'm from ohio so the closest park to us was walt disney world and my mom took me in the 80s and I'm always impressed when people can remember very specific things about their childhood because I have mm-hmm. like, you know, like moments. But largely what I remember about that trip is being obsessed with living with the land at Epcot because mm-hmm. plants were growing upside down. And right. <laughs> that made an impression of all things that I am. I met a lot of Robin Hood characters, which is pretty exciting. Very exciting. And I got, you know how at the parks, I think they still do this where you can buy a parasol and they, you can get it plain or they can like paint your name on it. Mm. And I got a pink one with my name on it and promptly left it in the hotel room. Never to be like when we left, never to be seen again. So that was my my (laughs) first Disney Parks experience. I love it. No, that's great. It's because it's like, especially I don't, how young you are going it's like the only thing I remember from the first time I went to Disney World is Star Tours, but it's that my dad didn't want to ride the motion simulator. So he asked the cast member to turn it off. And so we sat there and just that watched. That was a different just, like, experience. The, the screen. And I was still, I mean, I was like five or six, still pumped, but also like missed what, the, what, it, what it was, you know. So um, that was my. I love that. Interesting first. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's great. I mean, you mentioned Clone Wars, obviously, as kind of being your your return or your re-entry into fandom. And, of course, that started with a blog and kind of your journey into becoming a really major voice in Star Wars fandom. What was that for you and how did that kind of kick off and inspire you? Yeah, so around 2008 when Clone Wars came about, I had recently moved from Ohio to Los Angeles in, in 2007, actually, and was really starting to more comfortable like finding my fellow nerds and finding the geek community that I just I didn't have in Ohio at all um, and was too shy to really go out and seek it but in LA like it was just kind of there <laughs> and I was just being more comfortable about being like yes let's talk about I'm just getting into comic books uh, let's let me tell you about my Battlestar Galactica live journal and would you like to see the custom icons I made? And <laughs> so still super awkward. Um, and I was like figuring out that like mid twenties, late twenties, like what do I want to be when I grew up? Cause I still didn't know. And through talking about like Clone Wars and getting excited about it. And I had had a blog that was about food and travel that I liked, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like when I started writing about geeky stuff, I'm like, oh yes, this is what I want to be blogging about. Yeah. And so it started with Clone Wars and then it just kind of was like what other things, like I was super into Firefly at the time, Next Generation, just the nerdy things I enjoyed and kind of my journey. And I mm-hmm. started connecting with people about those things on Twitter. I joined Twitter in 2009, which was a very different time on Twitter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and connected, I specifically, you know, would go through and try to find like, okay, who are some people tweeting about Star Wars? Who are specifically some women uh, tweeting about Star Wars and Clone Wars? And, you know, I shared my blog post through Twitter and it just really kind of just built up, like, like met so many amazing people, like met some editors who eventually started paying me for my work because my blog, right. it just did... I did it for fun, but I also did it with the intent of, hey, like, I want to try to be as professional as I can with the hope, right. like, the hopes that an editor will look at this, like, as a kind of portfolio someday, because I was working in pet food at the time. So, and it was fine. Like, that was a job, and I paid the bills, and right. pets are great, so that all was fun, but it wasn't, like, it. So, I worked on the blog slowly built up paying writing work until I could, you know, do that, like, I'm quitting my day job um, kind of thing. And it was daunting. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure people know, I think it's improved, but writing for the internet doesn't pay truckloads of money um, or even small car loads of money. Right. A Prius of money, no. Not (laughs) Not even. So it was cobbling together, you know, for the years that I just did freelance full-time work for a bunch of different entertainment websites, like some copywriting work on the side, mm-hmm. kind of whatever you can write to, to pay your rent and your bills. Uh, so yeah, that was a long answer, but I think hopefully I answered your question. You did. Question no, mark. it was a good answer. <laughs> no, because I think it's very interesting for people, especially the ones listening to this podcast or just the ones that are on Star Wars Twitter or on Geek Twitter, kind of seeing that outside looking in perspective of writing for a website or I've, I've seen it just from the outside. Like when we, when I worked at Fangoria, it's like, Oh, like people have a very different 
realization of like what actually is required, but also like what it takes and what what it, and you know for good or for bad. And I guess with specifically Star Wars for you, then making a jump to StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider, and really then establishing yourself as both an official voice with the celebration stages and everything like that. I'd love to talk about that jump and that journey for you. And again, like <laughs> you're 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 putting in the work and the effort. And it obviously starts paying off and paying off and paying off. Yeah, and I definitely, like, you know, when some someone will say, like, oh, you've been so lucky. And, you know, sometimes I bristle at that because it's like, but I worked really hard. But it's both. Right. And both can live side by side because it is a combination of, yeah, I do feel like I have worked hard. But I've also, one, I'm white, so privileged in that way with connections. And I just met people at the right time like with starwars.com when I started writing for them I think it was around 2012 ish I had known Matt Martin on Twitter and at that time you know Matt's in story group at Lucasfilm now but then he was working on the website and running the Star Wars shop and picking items and right you know the blog and we just kind of had a it might have been at a celebration celebration five perhaps and I was like Matt I want to write for the site Mm-hmm. What could that look like? And we came up with the idea to add a column called Fully Operational Fandom that was about focusing on the cool stuff fans do because mm-hmm. Star Wars fans are really creative. And then at Celebration 6, I worked at the NERV. Um, that was also in Orlando to go to the Star Wars Insider booth because it's like writing for the web is amazing. But like seeing your name in print is always like a different yeah. a different level. And I worked up the courage because I'm, I'm still like, I'm less shy than I used to be, but it's hard to talk to somebody and be like, hey, I want to write for you. Pay me. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I kind of did that with uh, Jonathan Wilkins, who was the editor at the time. And right. I think my first piece for them was either with Kat Tabor or James Arnold Taylor, like tied to like something at that celebration. Like I, like they're yeah. like immediately like, yeah, we'd love for you to write some things. And you know sometimes you like put that out there you're like that's not going to work out or if it does it's going to be like a while (laughs) so when they follow up quickly you're like oh okay sure and you got to do that like yes i will say yes i don't want you to think that i'm flaky or whatever (laughs) uh even though i definitely do not have time for this uh this week but um and then i'm trying to think oh celebration yeah Go, or being a stage host at Celebration, I, you know, I loved going to them. My first one was Celebration 5 in Orlando and was just such a, like, cool, like, it's that energy. That, have you been to a Celebration yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I went to four and then skipped 10 years and then went to Chicago. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, then, you know, like, that energy is just yeah. special. Like, we're all there for one reason or multiple reasons under this umbrella of one reason, I guess. Right. And there's just a positive, like, vibe generally. And it's just fun. It just feels like like the right, like, comfortable place to be. And through my work with, uh, you know, Nerdist, who I started working for full-time in Mm -hmm. some year. Um, I think (laughs) think it was 2017. but even before that, I, I'd freelanced for them. And over the years, I built up a positive relationship with Lucasfilm PR, covering mm-hmm. uh, the Clone Wars mostly and then Rebels. And I'm trying to remember which event, which I think it was the Star Wars Rebels season two finale, Twilight, the Twilight of the Apprentice, mm-hmm. which was pretty big. Um, 
nothing really it's, happened it's in that not episode. Yeah, not, not a, yeah. The, my PR contact, Tracy Canobio, had asked me to host a panel, like a post-episode panel at uh, on the Disney lot at a theater there. And I wasn't allowed to see the episode beforehand. <laughs> so I was like, oh, fine. Like, again, like, yes, I'll do it. Um, and as a result of that, she then asked like, Hey, so if you like doing that, like you did a, a, an okay job, like, would you want to host a, the behind the scenes stage at celebration? Right. And I was like, yes, of course. And my first time hosting was celebration Europe in the summer mm-hmm. of 2016. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to do it the three total times. That's I think. And it's, yeah. oh, it's, it's so much work, but it's so much like, it's so much fun. It's, I mean, again, it's going back to this, theme throughout your entire career it's like hard work and dedication and a little bit of luck but like putting in that time and effort because it's like that's it that's the only way it's gonna happen yeah and it's like it's something I I think back to like being where I am now and just kind of the different way because I used to be a workaholic and we talked about boundaries before early before we recorded and I, (laughs) I didn't have any in the past yeah I when I was starting that blog and working a full-time job it was like I was working over like, 60 to 80 hours a week between the two. Yeah. Anyway, I put myself in a position and my, my day job put me in a position too. Like it was definitely one of those jobs that pressured you to be available right. all the time. We're all family. It's great. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. And I um, started getting panic attacks and a lot of like physical pro- like problems caused by stress. And I've tried to think like that really shifted how I think about work, but I still like, I said yes to like any opportunity that came my way that kind of, I think that helped, but it's also like a dangerous like precedent to set for yourself. Yeah. And it's something I've worked on a lot in the past two to three years to try to just be like, I know you want to do it, but let's look, let's look at what you have coming up in your life. Let's yeah. just think about, like, I try to be a little more aware of if it's a good idea to say yes all the time. Cause it's I not. No, this is again. We were saying before the we were saying before the recording started. Like this is just be a therapy session for me and like a what? Because you're just saying these things. I'm like, yes, I should do that. That is correct. Because it's like same exact thing. I was working sixty hours a week, and then Jason and I were also doing our website on the side as well. And I was like, this is great. This is all normal. It was not normal. No, <laughs> and it, it definitely affected us very badly. So um, yeah, we're getting there. Again, your your career and your career and career is is really ramping and ramping and then of course women of the galaxy the jedi mind books star wars books <laughs> like again you're saying name in print and then it's like oh a star wars book in print with your name on it uh talk to me a little bit about at least women of the galaxy first and and how that came to be in your process because it was a really incredible book and incredible artist thank you oh gosh the art is so good some folks, um, some artists actually were just posting some of their pieces on May the 4th as they kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, I remember when I did this and I got out my copy of the book and but I was just like, oh, it's just like, oh, it's just like <laughs> yeah. this beautiful, beautifully designed, like comforting, like beacon of light in a book, which sounds really yeah. arrogant because it's no. my book, but it's the art. No, no, no. I'm not yeah. talking about the art. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that came about just... So that came out in 2018. So fall 2017, I believe it was, I got an email from an editor at Chronicle Books and Star, a Star Wars book is something that I had, you know, like, you know, dream, like 
what a dream list bucket list is that that phrase (laughs) number one on that list yeah and so I got that an email that was just like hey like I should go back and look at the specific subject sometime but it was like interested in a star wars book question mark and i'm just like this is <laughs> this seems like a scam this is a phishing scam there's no way yeah it's a very targeted phishing scam from somebody <laughs> who knows my my hopes and dreams but it was real and <laughs> it is that you know that initial email kind of talked a little about the project just in that it would be highlighting some of the incredible female characters in star wars and you know that is like a reply like instantly and it was like uh how many exclamation i'm a very exclamation point uh heavy when i type anything uh and so i really like when i replied remember specifically thinking about like okay this is our first encounter with with this editor like i should probably not do like an all caps line of exclamation points like i'll try to present myself as a little more chill he'll get to know me eventually and know that i (laughs) have no chill um right but from there you know we had a conversation about the book and what it could be and kind of what chronicle books envisioned and what lucasfilm envisioned and i wrote some samples one of which was for size noodles. <laughs> I don't know which, why I recall that very specifically, <laughs> but I like size noodles. I think she's complex and fascinating. And we really, it was a process to find the right tone for the book because mm-hmm. we didn't want it to be an encyclopedia because that's, that's online. Anybody can look up in a, you know, Wikipedia at characters, entire history. And we wanted to kind of it to be like a tribute in some ways to these characters and to the actors that portrayed them. So it gave me a lot of flexibility to write about, okay, let's like pick some highlights from what we know. Let's pick some strengths and and flaws and maybe some behind the scenes information and maybe interview some people to get quotes too. And kind of threw it all together (laughs) and hoped it worked. And I think it did. Oh my gosh, I think it did. But it was, you know, 75 characters and we left a few on the cutting room floor. And certainly that was, you know, 2018. So we'd have many, even just in the three years since then, many more characters we could choose from. Uh, But it was my first experience, like getting in on secrets that I didn't, that I needed to know, but didn't want to know because (laughs) I had the first draft had to be turned in. Like it was like the Friday, the last Jedi came out Mm -hmm. and I had luckily seen the film early as a member of the press because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have otherwise. And I would have been staying up very late that night to turn my draft (laughs) in, but I still had characters from solo to put in the books and star Wars Mm -hmm. resistance. But with solo, that was one I I was at Lucasfilm with my editor at Chronicle books. And we like got a walkthrough basically of solo. They didn't tell us the end, which I'm mm. glad for, but it was still like <laughs> a lot. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, I, I, this movie doesn't come out for six more months. I don't want to know <laughs> this. Uh, and I still had to wait until the film came out ultimately to do to write about Kira and right uh, and this nest anyway. So that was like a weird, the like peek behind the curtains that I wasn't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't expecting. But it was fun and. 
I mean, that editor and I, Steve Marcus, had such a great time working together. He's a delight of a human, let alone an editor. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We had such a good time that we're like, oh, we really want to work together again. And that's when we cooked up Jedi Mind. Again, Women of the Galaxy is so great. A, because of the words and the time that was put into it. But B, it's like Jen Bartel, incredible. But then it's like the Princess Kinesa uh, art. All, like all these, like, I'm like, oh, this is the best. And I think like, anyway, if you type in Kinesa, it's like the only image <laughs> that yes. people use now. Because it's just the best. <laughs> it is, yeah. And I like that we got to like include art for characters that hadn't some, I think there were a few that were, you know, just novel characters. Or like, for example, Teenage Phasma, who is in the Phasma novel, mm. And we got to do that. We, and he still did that illustration. I didn't do any art, right. thank goodness. But like, it was kind of like exciting. Like as someone who really wants to push the novels and comics and animated series, because I'm always like eager for folks who have only seen the films to be like, oh, there's a whole world and you can go, you can yeah. go hard. <laughs> um, yeah. And like, that was really special to be like, oh, we get to put a Nora Wexley image in here. That's cool. <laughs> Krista Agate, yes. Things that made me really happy and probably a select small number of other folks, but <laughs> no, still. <that's> great. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I mean, going to the Jedi Mind, again, just talking to you for 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, of course you wrote a Jedi Mind. Like, what a perfect person to write it. Like, talk to me a little bit about the process and maybe both the personal and then the professional ways to put that together and, and make it tie into Star Wars. Yeah, so... Like I mentioned, Jedi Mind at first birthed from a desire to work with Steve again. And we just really were trying to figure out what we could do together and how we could just make something fun. And we really wanted mm-hmm. to stay in that kind of lifestyle area. And Steve and I had both talked in the past. He's just, like I said, a delightful human and was sometimes like a, <laughs> as I would just like pour my many anxieties about the book on him. Uh, we get to talking about I'm generally a pretty anxious person and we connected over that so we were thinking about like how we could tie together you know these wonderful quotes in Star Wars like always remember your focus determines your reality from Qui-Gon like those kind of things were like there's something here and we knew that the book Be More Yoda by Christian Blaubelt existed Mm -hmm. and there are a few of those books but like, what if we kind of took that idea, like, where we want to, like, pull out these, like, very mindful quotes about the Force and the Jedi, but we actually paired them with a practice in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it for a little while, and Steve, bless him, like, formally pitched it to Lucasfilm, because Lucasfilm's concern was kind of making sure, like, you know, mindfulness by that word doesn't exist in the Star Wars galaxy. Right there's no like yoga in the Star Wars galaxy. So they were very much like, okay, just don't have like, (laughs) don't have a character like doing a downward dog or something. And we're like, okay, like we can walk that line. We we got it. I understand where you're coming from, but we had to thread that needle of, okay, let's find a quote of which there were many. That's how I started is with a list of quotes from the animated series, uh, the books, I don't remember if I got any from the comics in there and the films, of course, that were generally about Jedi, from Jedi, about the Force, whether it was from a Jedi or like a character like Bendu or Chirrut from Rogue One. And once I had this list and there were like (laughs) so many because Star Wars is just full of great lines that 
fit naturally with mindfulness. Then we thought about practices and something I did early on is I used to co-host a Star Wars podcast called Lattes with Leia with one of my best friends, Dr. Andrea Ledimenti. And she works in mindfulness at a center at UCLA. So I really like ran the idea by her to like pass a like, like the BS meter and make sure that we weren't just like yeah. trying to like smush two things together. And it was ridiculous. And we talked a lot about mindfulness and the, the research that it's grounded in and how it's proven to help people. And she gave me like, of course, like a huge reading list and research but the ultimate result was like, she's like, yeah, this is actually a really great way to make mindfulness approachable. <laughs> yeah. And it was so fun to research because it's, <laughs> it's a lot of like practicing and employing all these different techniques right. to like give me some chill. <laughs> and then when it came time to write it, I was actually recovering from, I had a uh, heart surgery and mm. Like just by the way that like the deadline fell, it wasn't like Steve like getting on mm. the phone while I'm recovering from open heart surgery being like, where's that right. book, Amy? It was, you know, I was in the end of my recovery where I just like, I couldn't do a lot, but I had the energy to like go, go out right. and do things, but sitting on my couch and writing, pretty great. <laughs> and so the point I was getting to is that writing that book, like I'm usually a writer who loves the results and having written the actual writing, not always, not always as much. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's yeah. just like pulling teeth sometimes. But with the Jedi mind, it was the the most enjoyable and easiest time I've had with any as with any of my books or stories. And I think that has a lot to do with the subject and yeah. it being soothing and it being very much about like, hey, let's not dwell on the future. Let's not run over the five thousand bad things that could happen next week right stay in the present and it felt very right to tie that with star wars like i was pleased how well it came together and christina chung who did some of the art in women of the galaxy came into jedi mind to do illustrations for us and just like absolutely nailed this total like minimalist like uh-huh. soothing art that i think complements everything so well I'm so glad you you brought up all of that because it is important, I think, for people, especially like Star Wars fans, just to be able to start taking things from Star Wars that isn't just like straight up plot and and, and using it in a way that contextualizes what we're living in. Because I think, I mean, that goes all the way back to George Lucas, right? Like creating these stories for children to teach them how to be like good people, right? And like employing that as we get older and older, I think is sometimes lost on some people but stuff like this like this book i was like oh this is so so great as someone that has paid for headspace for three years and uses it like you know three times a month so like it was a nice reminder to be like hey like take a step back that's me and calm well i mean again talking nonfiction to then fiction and i promise we'll get to art of galaxy soon Uh, but it was so cool to see you make that jump to fiction however briefly for from a certain point of view empire strikes back Awesome. And I'd love to talk a little bit about like making that jump, uh, doing so much nonfiction and then like creating a Star Wars character in a Star Wars environment. Like that's so cool. What was that like for you and how did you approach it? It was so daunting because for the longest time people would be like, oh, when are you going to write like a fiction? I'm like, oh, I think I'm good. I don't, yeah. I don't know about writing fiction. That's hard in a different way from writing nonfiction. And I kind of got my 
feet wet a little with a children's picture book called Ellie and Me that's set in Galaxy's Edge. But of course, writing a picture book that has maybe 500 words, that if, that was probably my outline, (laughs) you know, quite different than writing a short story. So I was very honored when Del Rey asked me to contribute one for, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. And my editor there, Tom, like what a what a human being. I've been so blessed. I, I don't know <laughs> if there are editor horror stories out there. I'm sure there are, but I haven't experienced them because Tom was patient. He kind of, from, from the get-go, was like, hey, we're interested. We're probably thinking your story, like if you have any ideas around the Hoth base, specifically, you know, something we can put on that, like a story we can set on that transport ship, the, the one that we hear gets away first and what that could be. And my first request, I was like, I want to be the person, or I want to be, it's not a role-playing game. I want to <laughs> write the character who takes care of the Tauntauns. And Tom was like, great, that's already taken. I was like, that's fair. If that was an early one that was claimed. I get it. I still work the Tauntauns into my story. So I kind of started from that, like, write what you know advice. Because uh, I've written, like, some very short fiction just for fun for myself I remember sitting down and I'm trying to remember the original word count. And I think Tom gave me was like 3000 words. And that seemed like so many, Mm -hmm. but by the time we got through a draft and edits, I'm pretty sure I pushed over 4,000 words, but I thought, well, something I've always been curious about in star Wars is what is, you know, we've heard a little about the hollow net. I had just finished reading Alphabet Squadron Mm -hmm. and in that book, Alexander Freed makes a few references to rebel propaganda Mm -hmm. uh, and Imperial. I mean, we've, I've heard more about Imperial propaganda and first order propaganda, but of course it's on, it's on both sides. Everyone's, everyone's going to spin what's happening to put themselves in the best light. And I decided I wanted a character who was making propaganda for the purpose of recruiting people to the rebel alliance which they desperately need um, which is like a character also that i do play in a star wars rpg <laughs> who, is, who is a, a diplomat agitator yeah. uh so i just was like i just wanted to start from a comfortable place as as much as i could since it was my so i'm writing star right. wars canon and it's scary yeah. so luckily del rey responded to that idea lucasfilm responded to that idea and then we just like had to think about okay if this is a top secret base on Hoth, would they really tell a propaganda, propagandist about it? Like, how do we work the timing so that she gets there? Just because that was a thing, like, I would, you know, I watched, I've seen The Empire Strikes Back. I, it's my favorite Star Wars film a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. I went back specifically to watch the Hoth scenes to make sure I could, like, wind around everything that's established. And it's so short. Yeah. The time that they're on Hoth, but in my head, that was, like, a solid, like, quarter of the film it's not (laughs) so but it gave me it's just that might have been a longer answer than you wanted but it was just like fun to like kind of just like if I'm gonna do this let's like go for it let's make up a new character let's have her interact with as many of the known care why not like I'll just do it until Tom tells me not (laughs) to and he let me do it which was nice I'm like oh so it's it was exciting and I hope to do more of it one day short stories are like a nice comfortable place to live but it did help me to like personally just like be more interested in like writing fiction and I hope that's something I 
it's something I'm trying to do more of moving yeah. forward. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny that you said all that because it's like Corey is like whenever someone's like, oh, who would you be in Star Wars? I it's like never. I'm never going to be a Jedi or like a Starfighter. I don't. I can't do it. But I can do marketing for a star you know i can do the yes. that's, that's all i can do that's that's why i love rostico for instance because i'm like yes rostico that's me like i can do this you know what i mean so it was funny yeah. seeing that and being like yes i could do interviews i could do a, a podcast for the rebellion exactly you know? like i can cut together some hollows like and that's my right. way like i can get involved right. but not necessarily like be on the front lines and <laughs> right. you know like or you know i'm gonna i don't I yeah. would be, I love Jar Jar, but that's how I would like, I'd be the clumsiest person in the rebellion, <laughs> like causing so much trouble and nobody needs that. And Jar Jar Binks was the character I related to the most when I watched Phantom Menace growing up. I was like, there he is. That's me. There, there he is. So this is great. I love it. Um, so, so now talking about the art of Galaxy's Edge. Yay. Uh, <laughs> holy crap. Like, uh, yes. which, it was announced. <laughs> the story of... Galaxy's Edge has really been told until it opened in concept art, which I think is so fascinating, right? Like, as opposed to some of the movies, we were shown, you know, oh, here's the pod racer oven, you know, and like, oh, yay, you know, it's (laughs) it's happening. But you were able to really weave this story of the creation and work with so many of the Imagineers and also the, the ILM and Lucasfilm art department people that also worked on it and Let's, I mean, start at the beginning. How, how did that opportunity come up? And how did you first start approaching this obviously very daunting project to put together all these incredible, incredible things? Oh, it, it was so intimidating. But, you know, I worked for a, a brief period. I left Nerdist for this project hire opportunity at Disney. That was with Disney Yellow Shoes, which mm-hmm. is their in-house ad agency for, for parks, resorts, and consumer products. And they were basically hiring like, the official title was like Star Wars brand and franchise content manager. It was a lot of <laughs> words that basically boiled down to like, here's our in-house Star Wars nerd who can help us with canon. Right. Because Galaxy's Edge, of course, is immersive and part of the storytelling universe. Help them communicate, like facilitate communications with Lucasfilm and Imagineering. And that helped me just like, you know, I spent in... Where did it open first in Jesus in Anaheim? Yes, in Disneyland. Like the week before it opened there, a couple weeks before, I was with Yellow Shoes on a shoot there. Like we shot some. So anything you see like social media wise from Disney parks or commercials from Disney parks, like Yellow Shoes does that. Mm-hmm. So, and I spent, I think it was like six days like doing a social media shoot. We did this cool thing called First in the Galaxy where we brought some fans to be the first mm-hmm. ones to experience Galaxy's Edge. And then we did B-roll. So the, the the short version of that is I was in Galaxy's Edge for like six days for 12 hours a day, which compared to the Imagineers and folks who worked on it, that's no time at all. Right. But for a Star Wars nerd, <laughs> it was like, it's like, oh, it's like, this is amazing. And ultimately, you know, that project ended, but I had established really positive relationships at Imagineering, specifically with Scott Trowbridge and Mark Harrison and just a lot of people who help bring Galaxy's Edge to life. So, and even before I got that job, I had done this super cool press preview when I was still with Nerdist of Galaxy's Edge. That was like this three or four days where where we spent a day at Lucasfilm talking to like, we had panels from like story group and a bunch of people about Galaxy's Edge, a day at Imagineering where we got to go through the rope, like the robotic shop Mm -hmm. and see like uh, Hondo and Naka, like Mm -hmm. in DJ Rex 
and also have panels there and then go to the park where we, like it was still a construction site. So we had to wear very particular kinds of footwear (laughs) and hard hats. And we got to taste then, you know, separately, like a bunch of like sample menu items. So like I, it was cool basically. So I came with all of that and just, of course, as a fan visited Galaxy's Edge a lot and on Lucasfilm and Imagineering side, the book has been something they have been talking about for, I think, a couple of years at least. And Mike Siglane, who is the director of publishing basically at Lucasfilm, is such a, again, a nice human and a real champion and advocate. And anytime I've tried to be like, hey, Mike, I'm free, like, I would like to work on I had done this kind of like one of those like shoot your shot tweets, like when they're just like once in a while, like what's your dream, like writing project. And like, oh, I'd like to work on a Star Wars kids book. I'd like to work on a making up book of some kind of Star Wars. And Mike was like, I know a guy who could help you with those. Right. And bless him, he did. (laughs) Um, So I think he gave them my name and Scott and Margaret were comfortable with me from our time working together. And, you know, it was one of those projects as, as many of these tend to be, honestly, it's like, we're going to do this. And then you wait long enough for just like, you're afraid to check in and be like, are we still doing this? Right. So I'm afraid you're going to say we're not, but we are. It just <laughs> takes a while for the pieces to come together. And when we finally really got going, it was right after the pandemic started. So I didn't... Mm-hmm. All my interviews, unless it was stuff I'd you know had from my previous press encounters with with Galaxy's Edge stuff, um, they were all done over Zoom. I didn't get to go to the parks while I was writing it, which is a bummer. Yeah. But Imagineering just came in with this incredible digital treasure trove of they. they I mean, of course, like it's Imagineering; they're great at right. managing digital <laughs> assets and archiving. Yeah. There was so much though. And I was the only one of our, like my book editor, neither my book editor or the book designer had had the chance to go to Galaxy's Edge. Mm -hmm. So they really relied on myself and of course the folks in Imagineering to like when I outlined the book, because I kind of took me a minute to figure out, because like to your point, like how do we organize this into (laughs) anything that kind of makes sense? Right. And I decided to divide it into like multi, like the sections of the park, basically, or of the land of Galaxy's Edge, and and then I would t- tell our like my editor designer like, okay, for the market, you can use any of the images. Like we had contact sheet PDFs with like thumbnails of every image we could use. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you can use any of these from pages ten to twelve or whatever it was, and. The designer, of course, like knocked it out of the park yeah. with my my feeble <laughs> <laughs> guidance. But yeah, so it was really, you know, the hardest part because I'm, I'm very curious and I want to ask all the questions was kind of trying to stay on topic and remember like, hey, this is an art book. It's not a making of right. that's going to overlap a little, but this isn't the time for me to ask the prop team, like every question that, that I have about how they aged a piece of metal in Doc Ondar's or right. whatever. Right. <laughs> so it was fun. It was, I think between 20 and 25 people I interviewed, some of them multiple times. Mm-hmm. So it was quite the pile of 
transcripts to organize and like to allow like okay I know I want to use this I don't know where but I'll just highlight it and we'll revisit and somehow it all came together it really it really did it's so again you're you're stepping into like this legacy of Star Wars that is is my it's more than the movies really for me it's the behind the scenes is what I love about Star Wars and the books and the documentaries that have come before uh, whether it's you know the art books and the making ofs for the original trilogy um, and then now like the show stack books of course and so this this legacy you really come in and and really kind of cemented <laughs> I really I, I reread it again kind of paging through today just to prepare and I was just like this is great this is great this is great and the way that you organized it as well because something I've noticed with Phil's books it's like each one has to be organized differently this one's about the planets or this one's about the act structure this one's chronological whatever it is and with you it was really focused on first the pre-pro but then each attraction right and really kind of letting those breathe and telling the stories of each one of them and i'd love to hear a little bit about you know of all those attractions of all the things in galaxy's edge during your research has anything that's at galaxy's edge brought on new life for you now that you know the process that it took to get to that final product yeah absolutely just getting kind of that peak at imagineering's process you know it's not something we get in that detail like they they shared concept art before but not to this degree and they certainly they're not known for like let us tell you our working project names like just like secrets like that i was like (laughs) right alcatraz for rise of the resistance and it was a conversation at one point where like i think probably a, a the wonderful pr person who worked with us at imagineering who like kudos to him who set up my 50 million interviews like at a moment's notice but he was like oh you know project names are in this right and it's like well they're on some of the pieces of art so if we don't want to mention them that's going to be a little it's gonna be a little bit of a time commitment to yeah wipe those out yeah exactly so it was really cool to hear how they work with lucasfilm so closely and had this just incredible collaboration with the folks who work on the films who just bring a different perspective to Mm -hmm. To theme park concepting. And so I think the one area that, well, there are several, but one of the areas that I think is like made cooler to me or just like, like I hold more in like a, ah, like place of reference is um, (laughs) Savi's workshop because Mm -hmm. like in talking with, with Margaret Carrison and also Chris Beatty at Imagineering and Eric Timmons at Lucasfilm, whose work is there's a ton of his work throughout the book and and Doug Chang too. Like they knew early on, like it's star Wars, like, yes, we're doing this new location and planet, but it's star Wars and a theme park. So there's gotta be some kind of lightsaber situation happening. And they didn't want it to just be like, okay, you can go buy like the plastic lightsabers. Like you can get anywhere. They do have those, I believe in Doc on Dars and they have, like beautifully styled, like prop legacy lightsabers you can buy for different characters. Right. Oh, they just released. I know. <laughs> Leia's. Finally. I'm like, oh, oh, I know. I'm like, it's about time. But it's like with the big, you have to, it's because I was like, I was ready. I was like, this is the one I want. And then it's like, with, it's packaged with the Reforged Saber. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I don't need to spend. I, right? right? Yeah. Now. It's okay. I'll survive. But I have these conversations. <laughs> with myself a lot about, <laughs> about collectibles when they realized you know we want to have this very special lightsaber experience where we the guests can come in and, and go on this journey kind of like the younglings do and the clone wars when they build their lightsabers right. with yuang um it was an idea they had 
like can we have this droid character like in this workshop guiding people through which yes I would have loved to hear a David Tennant voice (laughs) telling me how to build a lightsaber but just going through like the ideas they had for that the concept art if you look in the book it's just gorgeous and magical and it all has that like very special like feeling about it very technical technical term and they just kind of had to keep evolving until they got to a place where like oh we maybe a droid doesn't make the most like that's not the most practical option and if we have cast members leading people through in character like that's a more human connection and can be just a little more personalized and the design of that room is gorgeous as is but just like hearing how they got there right you know how they like oh let's bring in like those kyber crystal containers that we see in row one Mm -hmm. and those kind of touches like so i'm like it's just it was a cool place already to me but now i'm just like yeah (laughs) just like knowing what went into it i'm like oh you all really like thought this through yeah because of course they did right oh man it it is of all the incredible things at galaxy's edge that is still probably my favorite memory because it's such an emotional thing and you don't i i didn't think that it was going to be so emotional if that makes i wasn't ready i guess to be like yes you are making your lightsaber and because you kind of get lost sometimes like oh like you know i'm at i'm at disney world and then you're in there and like blank jedi talks to you you know and you're like oh great (laughs) i'm fine that's okay (laughs) yeah this is gonna be good yeah um but yeah seriously it's interesting and again i'm not gonna be like oh like Let's talk about the things that didn't happen. But it is interesting seeing the process and seeing the limitations that exist in theme parks. That Sometimes we're like, oh, like I wish they had done this or that. And like knowing the actual implications and the actual real-world necessities. This book does more than any of the random Disney blogs <laughs> that are speculating on why things... You know, like this explains. You're like, oh, this makes sense. Like, yes, we understand how this happens. Yeah, they were very generous about, I thought, sharing their blue sky ideas. I didn't expect, I didn't expect them to share things that didn't make it into the park. I just thought that was going to be like a caveat we'd have to work with. But they're like, no, we can do that. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Very surprised. Great. I'll take it. Because you do get to see just exciting ideas and you kind of get like the, you know, something I I'm sure Phil show I know Phil Showstack has said more than I and has dealt with longer, but it's like concept art is just like it's concepts, it's ideas. It doesn't mean like this right. thing was for sure gonna happen. And now right. that it's not, it's a canceled plan. It's like, no, that's it's all <laughs> ideas. But it is really neat to see those ideas. And to your point to hear, like, you know, I love Ellie, obviously. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you have a certain attachment, yeah. Yeah, and Scott loves Ellie too. Like that book came about because Scott loves Ellie, but you know, they built a model and at some point you just have to realize like, look, we have 14 acres and <laughs> there are gonna be a lot of people and maybe a giant walk around beast isn't the most practical thing in the world. Yeah, and I, it's and it's like part of you as a Star Wars fan, it's like that sucks. Like that would be great if I was walking around Batu and like a, a creature yes. come up to me, you know, but it's like okay, I would no, lose I my mind. But then also a thousand other people would lose their mind and an animatronic or whatever would get destroyed within like two days, right? Yes, so, you know, or you know, like somebody, yeah, I totally. 
went through that journey. Like, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Oh, yeah, you know what? I get it. Fair, sure. Yeah, it's like, it's like the alien bartenders. I'm like, yes, that would have been really cool. What a good, what a cool thing if I got served by Yak Face. That would have been incredible. Amazing. But then I'm like, but I'm like, oh, yeah, what a cast member getting paid X amount standing in a warm bar for six hours or whatever would that have been the best thing for anyone no probably not <laughs> you know reasonably like, no and i mean <laughs> they have air conditioning in there but both florida and california get pretty toasty so right and if you're in a mass like there's only just so much you can yeah i mean that's a whole side subject of me being like you know what? all i want is just to be a background alien in some cantina and some Star Wars spinoff TV show at some point, but I know I'll be the biggest baby in the world, right? I'll be like, nope, this sucks. Like, this, this is the worst. You're <laughs> like, like, I've been doing this for five minutes and I'm done. Yes. Take me out of this. Well, it's like, there's a Simon Pegg behind the scenes when he's Ankar Plot and he's like sweating and he's like, I sweat for Star Wars. I always think about that. And I'm like, Brandon, like, calm down. It's okay. You don't have to do it. Because <laughs> you would pass out. I would pass. Yeah, same. I'm like, I, I don't like to be hot. So, cool idea, but no. <laughs> yeah, cool, but it's okay. Is is there anything that surprised you in the book? Again, you're putting together from thousands and thousands of photos. You're talking to all these people. Is there anything that during this process surprised you about Galaxy's Edge or anything that inspired you? Especially, like, you're talking to the most creative people in the world. It's it's very uh, incredible opportunity to be able to pick all their brains, I'm sure. Yeah, I think surprising and inspiring like go together from talking with Eric Timmons who is a concept de- mm-hmm. design supervisor at Lucasfilm who is he's been there forever he's been there forever wildly talented yep. a number of people would talk about you know being in conference rooms and discussing various ideas and Eric would be over in the corner drawing and be like yeah like this and they're like <laughs> how did you get inside our brains <laughs> um, right. and it was really cool to include you know some of his more finished pieces in the book as well, but also just a number of his rough sketches because I think that's awesome to see. But in talking with him, I think that I didn't expect necessarily, you know, I know Star Wars is grounded in the real world. We, I've heard Doug Chang speak on that topic many times and you can see it in the films that it's a blend of like 80% is real, 20% fantastical. Mm -hmm. But Eric is, has a really strong, I can't remember if he actually like has, I mean, he probably does have a degree or multiple degrees in art history, but mm-hmm. just has that very strong background and would talk to me about different eras of paintings or different types of paintings that inspired like what they wanted the light to look at. So he would reference painting painters who I had to look up and do a lot of spell check. I'm <laughs> like, I know this name and then I learn and I'm like, I get it, right. like Piranesi, and I'm not gonna remember the other ones off the top of my head. And um, I think that was, you know, 18th century, basically Italian landscape artists and how they painted vistas and what they wanted to capture of that emotion and like the scope of Galaxy's Edge and yeah. how the light would play in different areas, especially in the market, because it's such a like unique place and you have the coverings overhead. And I, I love the market. Like I'm always fascinated by the way it looks at different times of day. And that's because they considered that and because (laughs) people like Eric looked at these paintings and he and Chris Beatty referenced another period of Orientalist style paintings and their bold colors and the way they also used light and I just had you don't you know when you think you're in a Star Wars land or if you're me I'm like I 100% see the Macquarie in Galaxy's Edge like these dome buildings like this all feels very Star Wars I can see like this and this thing but I'm not thinking like wow, an 18th, an 18th century painter, like in some part, but it makes like, of course it does. 
hearing that kind of stuff was like surprising and inspiring and listening to Eric in general. I'm like, I'm pretty, you should teach. I mean, you're doing, you have a job, you're fine. You probably yeah. don't want to teach art history. <laughs> yeah. I like, it was just like me, like, yeah, you just keep talking. Like we can yeah. listen to this all day. Everyone too. I was really pleasantly surprised at their memory retention because they worked on this project going back to 2015 or April, 2014. <laughs> and especially when we got to the part where I, you know, we had the layouts on and I could bring up specific images to screen share and be like, what do you recall about creating this piece? I don't know, four to five years ago. And there'd be no hesitation from anyone to be like, oh yeah, we were thinking about X, Y, Z. And I'm like, how, how does your brain do that? Yeah. But it's because they're all clearly like very enthusiastic about being part of the project and it just stuck with them. That's awesome. Yeah. And they're all um, geniuses. And I mean, that's what I, that's what I love about galaxy's edge is because i I mean again there was the whole thing it's like why isn't it tatooine or endor or whatever but by creating a a new star wars world and using the inspirations right that make star wars feel like star wars i think it creates an actual world as opposed to being like oh yes i saw that you know and like we've all been here yeah it's wonderful well i've gushed enough about the book and about galaxy's edge do you have like of all in the entire book if I was to flip through and you're like, yes, page 234, my favorite concept piece. Like, do you have a favorite piece of art from putting it all together? Yes. And I don't have the exact page number, but it's an Ian. It's shocking. It's going to surprise you. It's an Ian, <laughs> an Ian McKaig. Because first of all, I didn't know Ian McKaig did concepts for Galaxy's Edge until uh-huh. I started going through this art pile. And I'm like, well, that's you're like, wait a second. Good, <laughs> pretty good. Get there. Good job. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he did a concept with Ellie. Okay, and, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's just, I think there are a few of them he did by her on that page, actually. Mm-hmm. And something that was fun, too, is, you know, to write the captions, the captions for each image that aren't quotes, just the titles are built from the, the artist file names. So with the case of Ellie, like you can see on that page, like that wasn't always like the final name, like the name went through some different mm-hmm. iterations. But that's the piece, it's just... I think Ellie's really special and it's freaking Ian McKaig. (laughs) It's like, oh, you designed Darth Maul. It's fine. And Padme. It's okay. It's cool. It's cool. And also this new Star Wars alien. It's fine. It's totally (laughs) casual and cool. So that's my favorite though. It is. There's just so like, oh, I could just keep going and being like, and then there's this one piece, but honestly too, anything Rick Lim did in that book such a talented artist and I love the way he uses light and how he populates his images with people. I I just go on and on, but that was fun too by the end of it because not all the artists signed their concept art. So Mm -hmm. sometimes my only indicator of who did it was in the file name based on like an abbreviation that the file name had that was like a key to this artist or Mm -hmm. this artist. But by the end, like I still double check that, but I'm like, oh, I know this is... This You're is Andrew expert. Domachowski. Well, that, but there were some too. I went to, I would go to Phil and be like, "This file name is not clear and it's not signed. Please help." Um, so there were like a few mysteries along. Like there were a couple that like took a while to track down between because between Imagineering and Lucasfilm, like if right. you didn't have like it was, it was kind of fun. So I got I got to be like super sleuth, and by super sleuth I mean just email a bunch of people until somebody <laughs> knew which one it was. The book, the art of Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge came out abrams books everyone should buy it everyone listening to the show has probably hopefully already bought it but if you have not please just buy it the link will be in the show notes and i would love to talk about just your upcoming projects you mentioned ellie and me 
uh, which people might not have picked up yet or have heard about. And I'd love to talk about that just very briefly. Yeah, Ellie and Me is a very sweet story about Salju, who is at the Black Spire station in Galaxy's Edge, which is kind of that little gas station area. Mm-hmm. And Ellie, who is a creature that her dad brought home when Ellie was very small. And then Ellie gets very big. It's a very like Clifford, the big red dog. <laughs> um, so it's a very sweet story about friendship and like growing up together, but not growing apart. And the art in it by Anna Davis Court is the cutest. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made me cry the first time I saw the art. <laughs> I was like, it's too cute. I can't. And it's available uh, exclusively at Target. Awesome. People go to, people yeah. have been to Target before. I think people can find that. Uh, I, think can find <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I go to Target once a, <laughs> once a week. So I'm sure I'm not the only one. And then, of course, Kids Guide to Fandom uh, with Dave Perillo came out uh, yesterday as well. You're doing it. It's just a bunch of yeah. Amy Ratcliffe books coming out all of a sudden. <laughs> no matter how spaced out your projects are when you begin them, they always like, it's like, we're coming out a week apart from each other. Like, always which is a great position <laughs> you know and that comes like but yeah kids guide came out on may the 4th kids guide to fandom and it's a middle grade nonfiction book to help kids learn what fandom is number one if because i didn't know that phrase right. when i was i didn't know that till i was really uh, in my 20s and how you can connect with people who fellow kids who like the same things that you do and how you can get involved in transformative fandom whether it's like making a podcast about the, the stories you love or fan art mm-hmm. or fan fiction it was really just very joyful to write and i hope and dave perillo doing illustrations whose art i followed for years like it was like yes this is great so it's wonderful I'm, I'm really proud of it yeah and i hope i hope people dig it i ordered a couple copies for my um cousins that are you know 10 Aww. and 12 because they're you know it's like he's like reading dune and i'm like that's good <gasps> You're okay. Like you, I'm just. I'm not worried about you, but like I want to make sure that you have the resources you need to like be be the fan that you want to be. I I pulled this knowing that we were gonna talk. This is my. I I commissioned Dave Perillo a few years ago. Um, I don't know if you can see it. George Lucas. Yes. Uh, I'm very proud of it in a a very ornate frame. That is awesome. Holding a Jar Jar action figure. Yeah. So I'm a big. I look at the shelves. Yeah, I'm a big Perillo fan. So um, yeah. So I was I was excited to see both of y'all come up. That was great. That's an incredible print. He's so talented. And thank you for getting the a couple cause very sweet of you to support the book. Of course. Um, and then I mean final plug for you again, because I'm just like like Amy Ratcliffe, the blueprint, the inspiration, uh, of just like of, of turning fandom into something more and, and working hard at it. And I think that can be inspiring for a lot of people, but your newsletter is also just like a really nice thing in my inbox of an inbox full of not nice things most of the time and so if you want to subscribe to your newsletter we'll put a link in that show notes as well because it's a very nice thing to get um whenever it comes thank you thank you it's one of my favorite things to like it's never a chore to write it it's always just like i don't know i really enjoy it so yay love it well i feel like i've gushed enough we've gotten through i think pretty much everything um but amy thank you for coming on and taking the time and talking Brandon, thank you for having me. It was really fun to, it's, I mean, it's fun to talk Star Wars anytime, but I'm especially like appreciative that you were willing to showcase Galaxy's Edge and that you're a fellow Batu nerd. Yes, right. that's what I'm going for. Sure. Yeah, yes. Fine. I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you again to Amy for her generous time, her incredible stories, and as I say in the interview, for truly being a blueprint for creativity and fandom. And thank you to Abrams Books for coordinating and making the interview possible. You can find a link to the Art of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in the show notes, as well as a link to subscribe to her newsletter. We'll have a special bonus episode this weekend, the first ever published Star Wars interview with Salacious Crumb creator Mike McCormick. So start refreshing your feeds for that. If right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps us out. So until this weekend, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the force be with you.